name is emotionally misleading. Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number One. Why did they pick it for this? I mean, I think because it's liber because it was performed by Liberace. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's been performed thousands of times by different artists, but one of the most famous recordings is from Liberace. And, and Annie Wilkes is a Liberace fan gal. A Liberace stan. You know what? <laughs> Annie Wilkes is a lot of things, but she said gay rights. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh my god! I love that Liberace and Betty White were besties. I know! I, I love that they like got together and like were friends, <laughs> you know? And you just picture them, you know, having a drink, you know? <laughs> Maybe he tickles the ivories a little bit for her. <laughs> Maybe she does a little singing. <laughs> Who knows? Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we want you to leave us a cock-a-duty review! I'm Carrie. <laughs> I'm Roz. And this week we are covering the 1990 Stephen King adaptation, Misery. Yes. Oh my god, guys, welcome to Spooky Season! Oh my god, it is Halloween. Well, I love how everybody just deems the whole month of October Halloween. It there's, is. There's only one Halloween, and it's on October 31st, but you know, whatever, it's okay. It, we, it can be a whole month. Hell, it's for most people, when it turns July 1st, it's Halloween. I know, right? Oh my god. <laughs> like, people will be tweeting on, like, July 4th weekend, I can't wait. And it's just all the spooky images, and I'm like, my God. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party, especially in the second half of the year. Yeah, absolutely. We, holiday times are coming. We've got spoopy season. We've got a great lineup for you coming in November. We've gonna we're gonna have a wonderful end of the year in December. Oh, and I can't wait for what would you say? Season four of kicking and streaming? I don't know. I don't know. I think but... we should cut them off in July, because that's where we turn over, right? We first published in July, what? It was July 10th was our first publication. Wherever we are in the timeline, I'm just glad y'all are here with us. The stream anniversary is it I think it's like July 7th or July 10th, 2019. I can't remember. I really can't. I think it's July. I think you're right. July 10th, I think, is our first episode. I don't know, but we'll figure it out. You almost died. You have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs and the fibula in the right leg is fractured too. And as soon as the roads open, I'll take you to a hospital. In the meantime, you've got a lot of recovering to do. There is nothing to worry about. You're going to be just fine. I'm your number one fan. My name is Annie Wilkes. I think one of my clients, Paul Sheldon, might be in some kind of trouble. You mean Paul Sheldon, the writer? Well, everybody sure likes those misery books. They had it at the store, Paul. They said he checked out last Tuesday. Isn't that a little strange? I guess it was kind of a miracle you finding me. In a way, I was following you. You were following me? Oh, Paul, I've read everything of yours, but the misery novels. You must be a good man. You could never have created such a wondrous, loving creature as Misery Chastain. Very kind. The presumption must now be that Paul Sheldon is dead. You dirty bird. How could you? Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Misery spirit is still alive. 
So today we're going to be discussing a Stephen King adaptation. This is a Rob Reiner film. I what honestly, I was shocked. No, like we've we we've had Rob Reiner on the show with us before. We've had him I think a couple of times. He directed The Princess Bride. We did that. And he's part of the Gary Marshall Mafia. So he's been involved with probably a couple of projects we've done. Yeah, Sleepless in Seattle as well. <laughs> so when you think of the Princess Bride and Sleepless in Seattle. You have, you know, a child's fairy tale. We have, you know, a rom-com. And now we're doing a horror. Absolutely. And I'm like, Rob Reiner. You just would not think of him as the choice to direct this. But I love the way that he's made it more than just a horror story. It's kind of like the heart of the film is coming first and the horror second. Okay, here's the thing. I've seen this movie approximately 10 billion times. You have. I, I, I love this movie. It was why it was my pick. Misery the novel first came out in 1987, so this was made relatively quickly. You know what that means. It enjoyed great immediate success. Uh-huh. Stephen King had been pretty big for the better part of a decade. I think Carrie, Carrie is 1973? Yeah. Not long after that, you have The Shining and you have It, yeah, Stephen King is a big part of the childhood media trauma. <laughs> the childhood media trauma. <laughs> the CMT. Like, Dad showed me Carrie when I was like eight. Dad showed me it when I was five. <laughs> so, I think I win? <laughs> I don't know. You might have guessed it, but oh, we have names. Absolutely. And honestly, we have names is going to be kind of short today. You know what? That's okay. That's okay, because we've been talking for way too long already. I know. Playing our protagonist today, we have James Can. In his second kicking and streaming appearance, he was with us last Christmas when we did <laughs> Elf. Yeah, guys, this is the dad from Elf. He's Walter Hobbs from Elf. He's playing our hero, Paul Sheldon, today. Yes, yes, the famous writer, the famous fictional writer, Paul Sheldon. I love the theory that this is actually Walter Hobbs. <laughs> And that Paul Sheldon suffered a horrible nervous breakdown <laughs> after experiencing this. Cut ties, moved away, and became Walter Hobbs. No, but you, Ro- <laughs> Gavin expressed similar theories last night. Yes. It was really funny. Jimmy Can, the only other thing I can think of with him in it is The Godfather. Yes, yes, The Godfather. You know, I mean, come on, he's Sonny Corleone. But at the same time, he is in other classics like... His voice work lent to Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs <laughs> and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too. Oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, Miss Kathy Bates. 
Y'all, Lady Kathy is back with us. She, guys, she was with us. Uh, la- was it last year? It was. Oh, she was with us last year when we covered when we did disaster movies in April. <laughs> uh, she played the unsinkable Margaret Molly Brown in James Cameron's Titanic. And this week, she is in a disaster of her own, is she not? <laughs> I don't think this is her film debut, but. It's her breakthrough role. Yeah, like this is the role that made people pay attention to Kathy Bates. She won She won an Oscar for it. I know. It's a 63rd Academy Awards. I mean, she, her performance is singular. I mean, I, I'm so glad that this has opened the door for us to enjoy her in everything we enjoy her in. Oh, I know. She's like Ryan Murphy's bestie now. Like Fried Green Tomatoes, Titanic, American Horror Story. Uh, and of course, she's playing our main antagonist this week, a- Annie Wilkes. Oh my, Annie Wilkes is like an iconic sort of villain. Also, folks, we have another returning uh, cast member today. Yes, we do. We have Lauren Bacall. In her second kicking and streaming appearance, she was with us uh, in May when we did anime. Oh my God, she was the Witch of the Waste. And like, she is just, I mean, I think of her as ageless. Oh, of course. She's not ageless, but just at any age, I come to her and like her voice is just pure velvet to me. I mean, guys, She's been on screen with the biggest names. Humphrey Bogart. Marilyn Monroe. Oh my God. John Wayne. Betty Grable. Gregory Peck. She's Hollywood royalty. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Oh God. I just, I'm I'm, I'm so honored that we're talking about Key her. Key Largo. How to Marry a Millionaire. The shootest designing woman <laughs> from 1957. <laughs> Ooh, the mirror has two faces. Yes. Oh, we need to talk about that. Yes, we do. We're going to have to talk about that. Other mentions are Richard Farnsworth. He plays uh, Sheriff Buster. <laughs> um, he's notable for his performances in uh, Comes a Horseman from 1978. Um, Anne of Green Gables, The Straight Story, Gray Fox. I know none of these movies. And then also we have uh, Frances Sternhagen. And she's notable uh, for a lot of uh, stage performances on and off Broadway. The Glass Menagerie on Broadway. Um, she won uh, Tony Awards. She was in a Lorraine Hansberry project. It's called Sign in Sydney, Brewstein's Window. Um, I, I remember picking up that play once in school and reading it. And I thought, I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Uh, obviously, we're not here to talk about uh, off-Broadway theater. <laughs> but, um, just... Unfortunately not. She also portrayed uh, the title character in uh, Driving Miss Daisy, the stage adaptation. Oh, that's right. Yes. Guys, I I have to talk about this real quick because um, the music for this film was composed uh, by Mark Shaman. (laughs) Oh, no. I've actually mentioned this before on the (laughs) podcast because back when we did Hairspray, Which all of the music and lyrics are composed and written by Mark Shaman (laughs) and husband Scott Whitman. Yes, and husband Scott Whitman. But he is the, you know, he's the the score composer (laughs) for this movie, for this original adaptation. It's just not two things that you would think of together. And he does an amazing job. I know. And I don't know of a lot of other films he scored, but before he made it big on Broadway, (laughs) this is a whole decade and some change before he made it big on Broadway.
We begin at the Silver Creek Lodge in, I'm guessing, Silver Creek, Colorado. I don't know. <laughs> this has to be Colorado. We're in the Rockies. Like all of the mountains and the snow. Oh, no. If I was writing, I'd go there. Oh, my God. Like, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. All the brooks and the woods and the... Uh, I mean, I can deal with the snow. It's Colorado. Because you can just go... Here's the thing. Winters in the Midwest? Brutal. <laughs> Brutal. Like frostbite brutal. Like, and then you go to Colorado and you go outside in the snow and you're like, huh, hmm, do I need a jacket today? Because they're closer to the sun. And we're farther from the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Sheldon is a uh, very successful, very famous writer. And he is most notable for the Misery series. And here's the thing. You're not really explained in great detail exactly what the misery narratives are about, you know, what their backgrounds are. They follow this character, this heroine. Her name is Misery Chastain. It sounds like a Victor it sounds like a Victorian gone with the wind. No, yeah. To it, me. You it, know what I'm saying? It kind of sounds like a trashy historical romance series. And I mean, I'm here for it. Like, don't get me wrong. No, yeah. yeah. I'm sure we'd love the misery series <laughs> if it were real. And uh Basically, he has found, you know, this is just a nice place to write. You know, this is a nice place for him to come where it's quiet. No one's distracting him and he can finish his books. And, you know, he types them all out on a good old royal typewriter. And whenever he finishes a novel, you know, he needs three things. And we get shots of them here in the first scene. We've got his match to light his one cigarette he's got. And he's got a bottle of Dom Perignon Chardonnay. And it's got it all nice and lined up and waiting for him. And he finishes up that book. And I, 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 the, the thoughts of actually having to write a book on a typewriter drive me insane. Like, I've actually typed on a typewriter. It's work. Yeah, yeah. You, like, have to, like, do, you need cardio to type out a novel <laughs> like on, I, on a typewriter. I think about how much my hands hurt after I used a typewriter for the first time, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, you actually need, like, conditioned fingers to press all these keys. This book release that he's preparing for is going to be very controversial because he's been writing this series for a long time and he has made the decision as an author to kill off Misery Chastain in this final book. What is this like? I don't know, book 12? <laughs> I have no idea. This series is like 10 or 11 or 12 installments or something like that. <laughs> it's like the series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Only it's called Misery instead. <laughs> But regardless, like, he knows it's going to make a big splash. Exactly. Miss me, Chastain, put braces on your daughter's teeth and is putting her through college. Bought you two houses and floor seats to the Knicks. And what thanks does she get? You go and kill her. I never meant for it to become my life. And if I hadn't gotten rid of her now, I'd have ended up writing her forever. Paul is wanting to make a genre change. He's wanting to go from writing the trashy historical romance novels to writing a more gritty type of novel. Yes. Like the kind of thing where like men are men and they swear and they use guns and I don't know. I mean, I don't, yeah. He's got it all finished up. He puts it in his little satchel bag that he's had his entire writing career. He gets in his 1965 Mustang. He's going to head back to New York. But, you know, um... 
on this very gray Tuesday, what seems like a very calm Colorado is about to be a very chaotic Colorado. Oh, yeah, we've got a big snowstorm coming in. Yeah, this blizzard is about to uh, ruin his life. And so... to top it all off, he is recklessly driving through the icy Colorado mountains. He's not recklessly driving. He is. I disagree. I, I listen. He's he, not recklessly driving. He's going too fast. Okay, okay, all right. Maybe he's going a little fast, but you know. Maybe I'm an old woman, but like, you can't see the road. Here's the other thing. It's all ice. Like, he may not have been born there, but he's a New Yorker. You know, they don't drive. (laughs) So give him a little bit of credit, you know. (laughs) Okay, fine. He's not a dumb Hoosier like you and me who has to, you know, drive 45 minutes to make a living. (laughs) Oh, God. You know. So, yeah, he gets going a little too fast out there on this 13-mile stretch of windy road, and he just, you know, he careens off the side of the mountain. What can I say? It's Colorado. No, he predictably crashes this car. And um, it's not looking so good. He is upside down. He is bloody. And uh, thankfully for him, he has a stalker. Oh, my God. This person, we get these shots of this person digging this crowbar into the side of his Mustang, trying to get him out. And come hell or high water, this person gets him out. I love that the first thing this person does is save the novel. Oh, I know. That's the thing. They don't just get Paul out of the wreckage. They save the manuscript as well. Yeah, they get that tucked under their coat. And they carry Paul on their back all the way back up the side of this cliff. Cut to, um, you know, our fisheye lens of Paul's eyes opening. We can hear all of this distorted dialogue in the background. I'm your number one fan. There is nothing to worry about. You're going to be just fine. I'll take good care of you. I'm your number one fan. And he opens his eyes all the way, and there she is! <laughs> Queen <laughs> Kathy Bates! There's Annie Wilkes! Annie Wilkes is a RN. She lives in, well, she might not be registered anymore. I don't know. Let's say this. She's a trained nurse. Yeah. She's a trained nurse. She has medical training. And um, she has just fixed Paul right the fuck up. She has a little farmhouse uh, in the mountains there. And, uh, you know, she's got some, some, some chickens, some cows. She's got a piggy. We'll get back to the piggy. And um, she has just got uh, Paul, you know, saddled up in her front room. (laughs) He is in bed and he's got his covers on and he looks rough. (laughs) He's got his arm in a sling, broken arm, but the full extent of his injuries. He's been unconscious for two days. Yeah, he's been there two days. He has no idea where he's at. And, you know, he's just like, you know, where the hell am I? And she's like, you know, we're just outside Silver Creek. You're going to be okay, you know. The blizzard was bad, phone lines are down, roads are closed, so yeah, it's just kind of basically you and me here. Annie is giving him things for his pain, and at first blush, she appears to be like a true good Samaritan, right? Yes. Like the literal kind of person you hear about in the Bible. Yeah, with her, her little cross pendant. The reason she hasn't taken him to the hospital yet is because the weather is too much for the road. That's not the reason. <laughs> I, I, I understand that. She's a psychopath. But at this present time in the film, we, Ross, don't, we don't know that yet. No. <laughs> okay. And as far as Paul knows, it would be too dangerous to try and take him to a hospital. Yes. Okay, may I continue? Yes, you may. Yes. <laughs> Both of his legs are broken. 
And she's put them both in these casts. Ooh, they did really they did a really good makeup job on these legs. I know. Like the 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 way they were able to convey the, the just the kind of swelling you'd have. Yeah. And like all of the all of the, you know, bandaging and the blood marks and I'm like Oh, this poor man. No, he looks bad. As a person who has maimed themselves on accident, Mm -hmm. he looks really bad. It's not nearly as bad as it looks. You have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs and the fibula in the right leg is fractured too. I could hear the bones moving, so it's best for your legs to remain immobile. And as soon as the roads open, I'll take you to a hospital. In the meantime, you've got a lot of recovering to do. And I consider it an honor that you'll do it in my home. Meanwhile, Lauren Bacall, his agent, is calling the police because she can't get a hold of him. You know, it's been, what, probably a week at this point? I mean, probably. I mean, we do get a lot of shots where it conveys, you know, the passage of time. Where, like, him wistfully staring out the window, not knowing what's going on. Like, he hasn't been able to contact anybody. Nobody else knows where he is. Exactly. That he's been in an accident. Like, you think Annie would have called somebody. Exactly. The literary agent, Marcia Sindel. You know, she's she'd been badgering him weeks up to this point, being like, hey, why are you killing this cash cow for both of us? Like, <laughs> why are you killing your main character and this franchise? And she's like, listen, th- there's more money in this, Paul. You could write another. <laughs> she's and, been trying to talk him out of it. And he's like, no, it's 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 time to stop. It's time to stop. It's time for a change. And she's like, all right, fine. Throw away your money. I don't care. <laughs> And yes, this very concerned, close literary agent of his, you know, she's calling the Silver Creek chief of police, sheriff. I just called there and they, uh, they said he checked out last Tuesday. Isn't that a little strange? Oh, I don't know. Does he usually phone you before he checks out of a hotel? <laughs> no, no, of course not. It's just that his daughter hasn't heard from him. And uh, when he has a new book coming out, he usually keeps in touch. Silver Creek, I guess, is the definition of a one-cop town. Like, it's basically Buster and his wife, Virginia. <laughs> they are the law enforcement. No, listen. They're about mm, 72 years old. Like Sheriff says, oh, sure, we'll keep an eye out. Meanwhile, Paul's name just ends up as a sticky note on the sheriff's bulletin board. I mean, it's like, like we said, it's a small town. There's nothing happening here. Like, what are they going to do? This is the point in the movie where we learn that Annie has kind of hardcore been stalking him. Uh, Yeah. I think it's strange that he managed to crash near where she lived, but, uh, like, I... Quite strange. It's not like she followed him out of the Silver Creek Lodge or anything. Oh, you're right. She was probably tracking him. She straight up tells him. She goes, In a way, I was following you. You were following me. Well, it wasn't any secret to me you were staying at the Silver Creek, seeing as how I'm your number one fan and all. Some nights I just tool on down there and sit outside and look up at the light in your cabin and I try to imagine what was going on in the room of the world's greatest writer. Sweetheart, listen, (laughs) I'm obsessed with my favorite book authors as much as the next guy. But you would not sit outside their motel rooms and watch their windows. Or stalk them to bars in the hotel (laughs) where my prom is being held. John Green, I know you're not listening. I mean, there's a possibility either you or Hank could be listening. I'd love to get your attention, but like, I'm so sorry about that. Thank you for coming out of the bar after getting sick of us. Just like walking back and forth in front of it, staring at you. Thank you for coming out. 
and taking pictures with us and giving us big hugs. I know you were just trying to have a drink with your friends and your and your colleagues there. I'm dying. Oh my god. And I'm so sorry I wasn't at the prom two years later that you came and crashed and got thrown out of. I John Green, I love that you got thrown out of my high school's prom. <laughs> This is where Annie asks if she can read the manuscript that he had on him when she found him. This new genre he's working on with all of the tough guys and all of the swearing. Yeah, the book he just finished like a week and a half ago. I noticed in your case there's a new Paul Sheldon book and I wondered if maybe... You want to read it? If if you wouldn't mind... I do have a very hard and fast rule as to who reads my stuff at this early stage. Only my editor, my agent, and anybody that saves me from freezing to death in a car wreck. Paul says sure, since you saved my life and everything. Yeah, yeah. What's he gonna do, say no? Yeah, I mean, I think that'd be pretty dickish of him, like... And she's like, oh, Paul, you'll never know what a rare gift you've given me. And I'm like, okay, listen, you're right. In the beginning, you kind of like her. No, that's... It's it's the earnestness, and it's the... Just the, oh my God, you are a literal angel vibe, you know? No, that's the thing. If you're a super fan of anything then there is a part of you that has a kinship with Annie Wilkes. I'm not saying y'all are murderous psychopaths, but like the supreme fandom that she has. We are, there is an Annie Wilkes in all of us, I feel like. (laughs) Oh no! I mean, guys, nerds of the world unite, geeks of the world (laughs) unite. You know there's a project out there you love. There's your favorite project that you stand. You know, you are kind of Annie Wilkes over Sailor Moon. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I am definitely Annie Wilkes over Potter. Yeah, I but- would never do this to Joanne. Exactly. Or we- maybe I would. <laughs> no, she's horrible. <laughs> but like, we would never kidnap people over something like this. No, no, absolutely not. We cut to the scene where Annie is trying to feed Paul soup. And this is the conversation where she complains about all the swearing in the new book. The swearing, Paul. (laughs) It has no nobility. She has a real problem with it. This is where Annie makes everything weird for the first time. These are slum kids. I was a slum kid. Everybody talks like that. They do not? What do you think I say when I go to the feed store in town? Oh, now, Wally, give me a bag of that effing pig feed and 10 pounds that bitchly cow corn. And in the bank, do I tell Mrs. Bollinger, oh, Here's one big bastard of a check. Give me some of your Christing money. She's like saying it with her whole chest, but it's also so awkward. Not knowing how to curse is a red flag for me. (laughs) And there it is. The first red flag. That's the first red flag for you? The fact that she can't swear? Well, up until now, she didn't make anything weird up until now. Oh no, but now it's personal. She's been polite and cordial and caring all the way up until this moment. She's unhinged. Paul is all of us. He's like, okay. <laughs> and like, he's just sitting there like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, it's, he's like, uh, uh, I've got two broken legs. I, I don't have a manual for this. And he's like, it, it, it's fine. It's fine. We'll forget about it. He's that dog. He's that meme of the dog in the kitchen that's on fire. Like, this is fine. Th- this is fine. <laughs> the next note I have is um, the sheriff is out with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and they're driving along that windy stretch of road that Paul was driving on before he crashed. I love Virginia. 
Well, this is fun. <laughs> and then she puts her hand on his knee. <laughs> oh, no. And he goes, Virginia, when you're in this car, you're not my wife, you're my deputy. Well, his deputy would rather be home under the covers with the sheriff. And puts her hand back on the wheel. The deputy would rather be at home under the covers with the sheriff. <laughs> I howled. <laughs> I don't know how I've never caught that before, but I've never noticed that before. He tells her to stop, brings the car to a screeching halt. They get out. They notice there is a tree on the side of this cliff that looks, I don't know, pretty bent over in the middle. Yeah, they find evidence of a crash, like the broken tree where Paul hit the tree. Buster kind of skitters down the side of that, you know, cliff, and he gets stuck in the snow. (laughs) Need some help? No, I'm enjoying myself. Thank you. These are the Rob Reiner moments. <laughs> Listen, this is a fine movie, but these are the parts that I enjoy best. Of course. Of course. I love Buster. Buster does his research. We will come to find that out later. He gets back up the side and Virginia's like, you know, you really think he's out there? And he's like, I don't know. If he is, he's dead. And I'm like, well, you're not kidding. <laughs> It's been two weeks. The reason they didn't find the car at the crash site is because it's buried under the snow. Oh, yeah, that really great shot of them standing at the top of the cliff still talking, and you can see the half-buried wheel. And, like, listen, sometimes the weather is mightier than humans. Oh, this is the thing about snow happenings and snow crime. <laughs> snow crime? Snow crime. <laughs> it, commit, commit crime in the winter. <laughs> can you explain what snow crime is? It's where you commit crime in the winter and it gets erased by snow. <laughs> <laughs> So similar concept to rain crime. Stop. We are not advocating a particular time of year for people to do crime. Or ice crime. Stab someone to death with an icicle and then it melts. No fingerprints, nothing. Kicking and streaming does not endorse the murder of any person. We do not condone murder. I'm so sorry. God. Yeah, that's the thing about snow happenings and snow crime. So Annie is lying to Paul about the phone not working. Yeah. Like, she's lying and saying that the one in town is working, but her phone is not working. She tells him she called the, you know, head of orthopedic surgery at the hospital and talked to him. And he said that he'll be okay as long as there's no infection. She tells him that she called his agent and that she had his agent call his daughter and that everything's going to be okay. And as soon as the roads are clear, they're going to get an ambulance for him he thinks he's getting out of here she's all excited because she's come back from town with the first copy available at the store of misery's child oh no she doesn't know the final misery book she doesn't know that misery dies at the end and uh, guys misery is her potter like this is her thing do you want to talk about the pig named misery i do love yes there's i I, we're going out of sequence here but there is this part where (laughs) paul's just like out of it and like you can see a shot of the door handle turning slowly and it's like oh god oh god is she about to lose her shit and then the door flies open and this brown sow comes sauntering in. It goes right up to Paul, puts its little snout up on the side of his bed, and it's like, hi. And the look on his face, he's just like, what the fuck? Why is there a pig in the house? And Annie peeking her head in, I thought it was time you two should meet. Paul, say hello to my favorite beast in the whole world, my sow, Misery. Misery. Yes, I told you I was your number one fan. 
Yeah, I'm uh, starting to believe you. This farm was kind of dreary, what with just a few cows and chickens and me. But when I got misery here, everything changed. She just makes me smile so. Oh my god! Uh, it's so unsettling. He's getting unnerved now. Oh my god. The next crazy thing she does is uh-huh. she wakes him up out of a dead sleep to chastise him about killing Misery off in the last book. This is always where it goes from zero to a million for me. So yes, like you've just said, she's just finished Misery's child. We've all been emotional at the end of a book, right? I mean, hey, it was Fred for me at the end I, of Deathly Hallows. I mean, like, yeah, and I, I've, we've had our moments, but not like this. <laughs> you dirty bird. How could you? She can't be dead. Misery Chastain cannot be dead. And he kind of realizes what's going on. He's like, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, Annie, back then, women often died in childbirth. It was a regular thing. But, you know, her spirit is still with us, and that's the important thing. <laughs> she grabs hold of the bed. <laughs> oh, and no. with every syllable, lifts it up and down. I don't want her bed! I want her! And you murdered her! No, I didn't. No one. She she died. She just slipped away. Slipped away? Slipped away? She didn't just slip away. You did it. You did it. You did it. You did it. <laughs> she, she's looking around for some for a piece of furniture to assault him with. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's my worst nightmare. Right. <laughs> you did it. You did it! You murdered my misery! And instead of hitting him with it, she breaks it over. She breaks it on the wall over his head. Oh my god. And just the pan into her face. I thought you were good, Paul. But you're not good. You're just another lying old dirty birdie. And I don't think I better be around you for a while. This is the thing. She can't curse. <laughs> she's she's calling people poops and dirty birds. And th- she reminds me of a teacher that I had in high school. Really? She She's like, I'm notorious for um, being disciplined by past administrators for cursing in front of the students. <laughs> right. So I'm going to try to be a bit better about this this year. She said <laughs> in the first 15 <laughs> minutes of my first day freshman year of high school. She's like, it was my second period. She's like, all right, I've already been called a once today. I am Miss Sheeny. I am not a hairy vagina. And this is integrated chemical physics. (laughs) I can't breathe. I wish I'd had that woman in class. (laughs) Anyway, Annie says, I think I better not be around you for a while. And before she turns out the room, I love the shot where she's going out of the room and then turns back around into the light. And don't even think about anybody coming for you. Not the doctors, not your agent, not your family, because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. How terrifying. He's like, he thought this whole time that maybe some sort of help was coming. And it's not. (laughs) She took this moment when she was mad to say, all right, I'm going to tell him the truth. Really give him some terror. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
She has to take a break. She gets in the car and just leaves the house. And this is where Paul decides that he's going to try and make a break for it. Yeah, um, he decides he's going to, on one hand, shimmy himself off the bed, try and make it out of the house with two broken legs yeah it's, a broken arm it's a lot this is i get it this is survival mode he is realized once and for all that she is a legitimate threat to his life uh-huh and so this is where the body horror comes in for me oh boy just the shots of him trying to writhe around on those very swollen meaty legs i'm like oh i can't even imagine the agony you can see every vein in his foot i know it's like oh and the, the the sweat and the pain that it must be. He crawls miraculously all the way to the door, only to realize, of course, it's locked. Oh, I hate it. And so it. he just kind of has to curl up on the floor for the night. The next morning, Annie just picks his ass up off the floor and puts him back in bed. It's like nothing ever happened. <laughs> like, yeah, her, her fucking expression. You poor thing. What are you doing on the floor? What do you mean, what is he doing on the floor? You frightened him out of bed in the middle of the night. Like, she is so deep into this delusional friendship she has with him. Yeah. Sometimes my thinking is a little muddy. I accept that. That's why I couldn't remember all the things they were asking me on the witness stand in Denver. But this time I thought clearly. I asked God about you, and God said, I delivered him unto you so that you may show him the way. Show me the way. Yes. She goes, drags a, like, Weber grill into his bedroom. She takes his new novel, not Misery's Child, but the manuscript that he has. Guys, I'm upset. Uh, I know. The writer's upset, okay? I'm upset for Paul. He, especially the workout. It must have taken on that typewriter and what she's about to do. Oh, no, because remember, folks, this is a day before computers were ubiquitous. He doesn't have a digital backup of this manuscript. She throws this manuscript on the uh, the grill and she hands him a matchbox and she goes, OK, I don't like this. Let's burn it. You want me to burn my book? I know this may be difficult for you, but it's for the best. It's really not difficult at all. My agent made dozens of copies. There's going to be an auction in New York. Every publishing house in New York is reading it now. She calls his bluff because she knows he's superstitious about making copies. Yeah. She knows this is the only copy of this new novel that exists. And then I love it because she's like, I know this is the only copy, Paul. Can't you see this is what God wants? And starts flicking the lighter fluid on him Ah! over his body. Oh my God, is she going to set him on fire? Yeah, I'm like, this bitch is crazy. And like, I hurt for Paul. She makes him set fire to this manuscript. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my. Oh, goodness heavens to face. Watching it burn. I hate that for him. And she has the gall to be surprised when it's a gigantic flame. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And when she pours the water on it. Isn't that a noogie mess? All that hard work. I know. Just gone. Just gone. I think this is where we can start talking about the pills. Because here's the thing. She's giving him these novel tablets, right? They're these red tablets. You can break them apart. And I don't really understand what's going on with them. Because she's telling him they're painkillers. 
Obviously, you would be able to tell, given you are the one in pain, whether they're working or not. Obviously, they must work, because in the book, I was wondering with the pills when I read that synopsis, whether she was just giving him sugar pills in order to keep him in pain, in order to keep him dependent on her. I understand what you're saying. But I think these are actually painkillers. I feel like they're sedatives. Because, the, yeah, this is where I'm... St- okay, that too. They might not even be painkillers. You're right. I think they are... That's the other thing. I was like, okay, are they sedatives that are just keeping him drowsy and, uh, you know, kind of in a half state of awareness to where she can manipulate him how she needs to? Because there comes a point where he rips a hole in his mattress with a fork and starts sticking these pills in that hole in the mattress so that she doesn't know that he's not taking them. And also... So he can be a little more sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Annie has decided to surprise Paul with a new studio in her home so that he can write. So this new studio consists of a card table, a new typewriter. Well, it's not new. It's used. It's missing an N. <laughs> oh, my God. How do you write a novel without an N key? And um, she buys him the most expensive typing paper she can find. And she's like, you're going to write the next Misery novel. Misery's Return. She wants him to bring Misery back from the canonical dead. You're going to write a new novel. Your greatest achievement ever. Misery's Return. Misery's return? I know you didn't mean it when you killed her, and now you'll make it right. It'll be a book in my honor for saving your life and nursing you back to health. You know what it is? You know what it is about her? What? It's the eyes. They pierce you. Her eyes and her mouth together? They should be they should have credits all their own. They should have second and third billing. <laughs> Misery, starring Kathy Bates, Kathy Bates' eyes, and Kathy Bates' mouth. <laughs> So while she's giddy about this whole new studio idea and him bringing Misery back from the dead, Paul notices that there is a bobby pin on the floor Mm. of the room where he's being held. I love that it's in the light of the window. (laughs) It's leading you right to it. It's like a video game. Yeah, I know. It's highlighted so you know to pick it up. He tells her that the paper that she's gotten him to write this book is not right. The ink smudges too easily. He types out smudge on a piece of paper (laughs) and then smudges it. She's like, she comes unglued over this paper. Annie, what's the matter? What's the matter? I'll tell you what's the matter. I go out of my way for you. I do everything to try and make you happy. I feed you, I clean you, I dress you, and what thanks do I get? Oh, you bought the wrong paper, Annie. I can't write on this paper, Annie. Well, I'll get your stupid paper, but you just better start showing me a little more appreciation around here, Mr. Man. And while she's gone, he pulls his arm out of the sling that it's in, right? Uh Uh-huh. And he wheels himself over to where the bobby pin is on the carpet and picks it up. And he successfully picks the lock on his bedroom door. Gavin would like to go on the record as saying that picking a lock would be hard without two points of pressure. Okay. (laughs) Well, we need a narrative. So He would have needed a tension wrench to really get that open, but Gavin says he digresses. Is that a magic trick? <laughs> no, it's a lock picking trick. Oh, okay. Is he is he is is he quite the little locksmith? He knows how to pick locks. Really? He does. Gavin! <laughs> I'm telling you, that man never ceases to surprise me. What? Okay. And he wheels himself out into the hallway. Paul gets himself to the phone and he realizes 
that the guts of the phone have been taken out? Oh my god. Oh my god. The biggest unhinged moment. Like... (laughs) Yeah, because he spies that phone and he's like, holy shit, and then rolls over to it. <laughs> he's going to call for help. And he picks up the bottom. And it's just, yeah, you're right. No guts in the phone. And I'm like, because <laughs> he sets that phone back down and he goes, crazy bitch. You know, we, we see various other things in the living room. You know, her little ceramic figurine collection, her oh. m- the memory lane book. And he's wheeling himself past that table and he knocks that little ceramic penguin off and catches it before it shatters on the ground. And he puts it back. Facing the wrong way. Oh my god. This was me when I would have parties and my parents would go out of town. (laughs) You have to put everything back just right so they don't know that anything's happened. Mom and dad were Annie Wilkes with that shit. (laughs) They really were. My mom was like, why are my afghans in my basket all rearranged? (laughs) Because people were sleeping under them, mom. People been getting busy in your afghans. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry, mom. Yeah. (laughs) He finds this closet full of medication. He sees these little this little pack of the red pills she's been giving him. And he takes one. He does. He just puts it in his underwear for later. And like, I just can't get over the fact that he's doing this all with one working limb. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. He he tries to get out the back door too, and of course that's locked. And uh who comes pulling back up? Annie. Oh, no. She's back with the paper. This whole sequence, asshole clenched. (laughs) Oh, no. Asshole clenched, and it's not coming unclenched, because he has to scramble with one working limb back across the kitchen, up into that chair, down the hall. He's got to close the door across the hallway. He's got to get back into his room, relock the door with the bobby pin, which is (laughs) bullshit. (laughs) And she's taking just the right amount of time (laughs) to get out of the car and up the steps. And she comes back in, and he's sweaty and out of breath. Paul, you're dripping with perspiration. Your color is very hectic. What have you been doing? You know damn well what I've been doing. I've been sitting here suffering. I need my pills. Poor dear. Let's get you back in bed, and I'll get them. I cannot believe that he managed to pull that off. That was insane. Because what he's going to do, right, is he's going to take the innards out of these pills. You know, the powder from the pills. He's going to save all the powder. And he's going to try and drug her. Right. This little pad of paper that Annie gave to him to write ideas down in bed. I know. When he's not sitting at the table. He's folded up a piece of this paper. And he's dumping the, the, the pill powder in him. The stuff from the, the pills. And he's saving it in that little paper pack. The weather improves to the point where the snow melts enough that Paul's car is finally found. And, like, they find the car. They find the way it's crashed. There's obviously evidence that he wandered away from the scene because he's not there. And they just presume that he died of exposure. And, I mean, like, come on, guys. Like, the state police are not doing their job. They're just not. The only person doing his job is Buster. Because he's like, do they not see these fucking marks on the door, where someone obviously pried him out of this car? You don't think he's dead, do you? Well, he might well be, but not the way they say. He never crawled out of that car by himself. You see the dents on the door there? Someone pulled him out. He's convinced that someone pulled him out of this car. Someone did. Yeah. (laughs) No, Sheriff Buster, I have great news for you. She did pull him out, and she is holding him against his will. 
Annie comes busting back in his room with the pages that he's done so far. Oh, she's not happy. And she's like, no, sorry, redo it. You're going to have to do it all over again. It's not right. And he's like, what? And she's like, it's just not worthy of you. (laughs) Oh, no. Because what Paul's done, and he's trying to get out of this situation as quickly (laughs) as he can. He's writing under duress. Yeah, and so he's written this narrative where um, she didn't actually die. Like, she got a, you know, experimental blood transfusion that brought her back from the dead or something. <laughs> it's nonsense. It's just nonsense. And sh- and she understands that. And she said, hey, listen, it's just not worthy of you. It's stupid. Let me give you an example. When I was growing up in Bakersfield, my favorite thing in all the world was to go to the movies on Saturday afternoons for the chapter plays. Cliffhangers. I know that, Mr. Man. They also call them serials. I'm not stupid, you know. My literal note is... Oh, God, Annie is all of us. Annie loves the movies. She's trying to make this story make sense. Like, she's trying to write it herself. Because, like, she's talking about her favorite, Rocket Man. And there's this one where he propels off this cliff in a car, locked in a car at the end of one of them, and it crashes and burns. She says she's so upset, and she, she, you know, she's first in line next week when they go back. And then it's Rocket Man, and he's trapped in the car, except at the last minute before the car goes off the cliff, he jumps out, <laughs> and he saves himself. And just before the car went off the cliff, he jumped free, and all the kids cheered. But I didn't cheer. I stood right up and started shouting, This isn't what happened last week! Have you all got amnesia? They just cheated us! This isn't fair! He didn't get out of the cock duty car! Iconic. Oh my god. <laughs> she can't curse. I know. Like, he didn't get out of the, the cock-a-doody car. Like, I, I can't get over it every time I see it. I'm like, wow. Like, I feel like this is two things here. Like, I feel like she's wanting him to shape this creation himself, you know, but under, you know, on her time. <laughs> but like, she also just, I feel like just kind of wants to write this herself. Uh-huh. And she's just kind of using him as labor. I know. Like, it just... Mm, so much going on. This is where he asks her to have dinner with him. A nice little dinner there in the house. Where else are they going to go? And this is the this is the opportunity he's going to have to drug her. He wants it all set up all romantic-like. Yeah, he's playing into this now. He's decided <laughs> to, you know, shut the fuck up and play into it. It's a matter of survival, man. So he does a little bit of rewriting. And he's come up with this fun little tidbit where... Misery was buried alive and she went into a temporary coma because of a bee sting and that the same thing happened to this woman that he used to know who it must be her long lost mother and Annie's eating it up. Annie's loving it. Will she be your old self now that Ian has dug her out or will she have amnesia? I have to wait. Will she still love him with that special perfect love? You'll have to wait. Not even a hint? Liberace records. <laughs> I think that's my favorite. I think that's my favorite line. I think that's, that's my favorite Annie line is, <gasps> I'm going to put on my Liberace records. I mean, hey, I feel her in that moment. And like, I hate this for him because he goes to all that trouble of putting the pills in the wine and then she spills the wine. See, like, I'm not convinced she doesn't know. I'm not either. I think that she, I think that she might know what he's done and purposefully does that. Because she's been away from the table for too long. I know. Like, maybe she already suspects him. I don't know. (laughs) See, that's the thing. I don't know. I can't tell with this woman. 
to Misery and to Annie Wilkes, who brought her back to life. Oh, Paul, I get goosebumps every time I think about it. Oh, 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 my God, what have I done? Oh, I'm so sorry, Paul. I ruined your beautiful toast. So, like, if she doesn't, if she notices or not, we don't really get any confirmation on that. And Paul just kind of continues working on this new installment of Misery and, like, just biding his time in this bedroom, hunting and pecking. Shut the fuck up. Okay. Listen. Carrie Ann cannot stand watching people hunt and peck on keyboards. It is upsetting! Listen, some of us hunt and peck. (laughs) Some of us do it actually rather quickly. (laughs) But you look like chickens trying to pick apart a meal! I don't care! Don't watch me type! (laughs) If you don't like the way I type, don't watch me type! (laughs) My god! All right, moving on. Meanwhile, Sheriff Buster is doing his own research. He's bought, like, all of Paul's books. He's like, okay, if I can't get any tangible evidence on him, you know, on the outside, I'll go on the inside. I'll find, I'll read through his works and see if I can find anything there. What is the answer in those books that he's going to find that's going to lead him to Paul's disappearance? I mean, we will talk about it. All right, fine. <laughs> oh, God, not Annie saying she's in love with him. Oh, no. Like, is this where is this where she comes in all weepy? Because this is Tchaikovsky's piano concerto. Yes! I love it. Anyway, and I love Liberace. But, the, the, you know, he's typing it out. He's pushing through chapter this, after chapter that, after chapter that. And I also love how he's trying to make himself stronger. Oh, yeah. Like, he's doing lifts with the typewriter to work out his arms. And, like, Annie's taking notice, and she's like, mm, Paul is svelte. Oh, stop. <laughs> We have this sequence where she comes in his room one day and she just looks depressed. Oh, I know. She's in a robe. She's not dressed. Her hair is, you know, all over the place and her eyes are downcast. I know you don't love me. Don't say you do. You're a beautiful, brilliant, famous man of the world and I'm not a movie star type. You'll never know the fear of losing someone like you if you're someone like me. Ah! <laughs> ah! Oh, no! Ma'am? You, th- oh. Because we're coming up to that point, right? Uh, we... Th- this book is almost finished, and she knows he's going to want to leave. That's right. That's right. And, like, she's depressed about it because she either has to commit to keeping him captive for the rest of his life or kill his ass. She could also let him go, but that's a whole new problem. (laughs) Oh, no, wait, yeah, this is that part where she takes the gun out of her pocket. I have this gun. Sometimes I think about using it. I better go now. I might put bullets in it. And then just walks out the door. Oh my God. And outside into the rain. And I'm like, you fucking crazy person. So I can't remember exactly how this happens, but obviously Paul knows it's go time. And somehow he manages to get himself into the kitchen, out of his bedroom. Annie's gone somewhere else. I think she went to town. Paul manages to get a hold of a knife. While he's getting the knife... He finds that scrapbook he passed in the parlor earlier. 
the one that's full of clippings. Memory Lane. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The red, the red bound book that says Memory Lane. There's clippings about his disappearance. Yeah, that's the first thing he notices is that it's open to clippings with his disappearance in them. He's flipping through the whole thing, you know, pictures of her as a kid, and we get this article that says Carl Wilkes plunges to his death. Yeah. Who's Carl Wilkes? I think it's her dad. Oh, and you know all about that because you Castle Rock and shit. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then, you know, we see, you know, her time in school and her becoming a nurse. And then, you know, we start seeing these articles about infant deaths in this hospital. Yeah. In Colorado. And it's like, you know, investigations and shit. And I, the one that says infant deaths return to maternity ward. And finally, it just ends in her being arrested for these, you know, suspicious infant deaths in this maternity ward, which she was in charge of at this hospital. She's killed children. She's been, yeah, she's been murdered. She's been suffocating these children, like, and... She's what we in true crime call an angel of death. Because, like, obviously we know that she's the possessive type. We know that she's been unhinged through most of this, but this takes it to a new level. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously she has no qualms torturing him, but... She's killing babies. Yeah. Cuz it's I cuz I bet it's easy and I bet it's a compulsion for her that was easy for her to satisfy. Yeah, it makes her feel needed and important. And I'm just like the, 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 it was always that scene as a child where he realizes that she's been killing these babies that made me go, "Oh my god. What are you going to do when she comes back? Like you have got <laughs> to get out of here." And, you know, he eventually, he you know, he makes his way back in and... He puts himself back in bed. And he's he puts the knife in his arm cast and he's practicing whipping it out of his arm cast. And he hears her pull up and you can hear her walk into the living room and stop dead. Uh-huh. And it's because she can see that he's been through her book. <laughs> oh my God. He did not turn it back. To the page with his newspaper clipping on it. She's got every detail of her home memorized. And, you know, he hears her turn on the television and, like, settle down. And he's, I love he whispers, see you in the morning. And then he wakes up in the middle of the night. (laughs) And he turns over a little bit. And she's right there! (laughs) And the lightning flashes and she injects him with something. Next morning, we wake up, and he is strapped down to that bed. Guys, this is the part where it gets really grueling. It's about to get real upsetting, y'all. Like, this is the part that Gavin can't handle. Yeah. So just fair warning. Carrion sent me a picture of his reaction to this scene. (laughs) He was so mad. (laughs) Paul, I know you've been out. What? His he's so his dumb little grin because he's so high. I know. Oh, it's so awful. You've been out of your room. No, I haven't. Paul. My little ceramic penguin in the study always faces due south. I know you've been out twice, Paul. First I couldn't figure out how you did it. But last night, I found your key. She holds up the bobby pin. She knows about the bobby pin. And, like, he's, like, reaching underneath the bed where he put the knife the night before. She's taking it. Is this what you're looking for? And holds up the knife. Ah! Oh, my God! 
<laughs> and he's like, I don't understand. I've never been out. And she's like, oh, Paul, my little ceramic penguin always faces due south in the study. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. No. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. Don't. Don't don't tease them any longer. Okay, get, all right. Get to the nasty business. She starts talking about the Kimberly Diamond Mine. Paul, do you know about the early days at the Kimberly Diamond Mines? Do you know what they did to the native workers who stole diamonds? Don't worry, they didn't kill them. That would be like junking a Mercedes just because it had a broken spring. No, if they caught them, they had to make sure they could go on working, but they also had to make sure they could never run away. The operation was called hobbling. And she pulls out that block of wood and sticks it in between his his ankles. Oh, no! And she's got a sledgehammer and just like, poor Paul. And he forgot. Shh, darling. Trust me. God's sake. It's for the best. Hey, please! Almost done. Just one more. And then she swings that sledgehammer and, ah, the noise he makes. Ah, ah, no, no. She's like, almost done. (laughs) And then does the other one. And you're right. We are all, ah, ah, (laughs) ah, ah. Yeah, I believe, that's, it's great acting. I believe he's in pain. Oh, I know. Like, it's just, I can't even imagine. I'd pass out. I don't know how he doesn't pass out. I just, it, I, ugh. I'm, I'm, He's definitely not getting back out of bed anytime soon. I'm beyond words. And the way that when it's all over, when he's done screaming, she goes, God, I love you. What, what the, the fuck? What the fuck? Oh, I'm, my God. She's so, oh, she's so weird. Oh, I, I can't. And then, like, I, just, mm, I don't know how he didn't pass out. I don't know how he's able to do the rest of the movie. I don't know how the character <laughs> is able to do the rest of the movie. I do not. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have to talk about this. Do you remember the direct TV commercial that involves Kathy Bates and James Caan reprising their roles from this movie? What? She. It is literally like from like 2003, this direct TV commercial or something. It is Kathy Bates hobbling James Caan in bed while she's talking about direct TV's great new plan. No! I'll, I'll show you it when we're done. It's amazing. I was going to unplug my direct TV so he couldn't watch all their fancy sports in high def. But that'd be cruel. Direct TV has way more sports in HD than cable. Watching anything but direct TV? Now that would be painful. Put an end to the torture and hook up your new flat screen to direct TV. One day, the sheriff, Sheriff Buster, just happens to see Annie acting kind of unhinged in town one day. I can't remember what happens, but she's yelling and she's acting erratically. And he starts to suspect maybe she might be a psychopath. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Just maybe. Okay, it's because she almost crashes into that guy. She's like, you cock a You poop! And he goes to the library and he finds all these articles, like the one that Annie has in her scrapbook on the microfiche. Yeah. Like all these articles about her killing people in the hospital. Alleged, allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> and like there's this picture he finds and she's on the courthouse steps and it's the caption of the photograph says, There is a justice higher than that of man. 
I will be judged by him. And, oh, wait, wait a minute, because then he recalls that from Misery's trial. Yeah. Yeah, because that's where that quote comes from. And he's like, all right, I've got a definite connection here. Let's investigate. So finally, the sheriff puts two and two together. He figures out that Paul is up there in Annie's farmhouse. He's going to go pay a call out there, make sure everything's on the up and up. Because the sheriff is pulling up and Paul sees him out the window and he turns and looks at the doorway and she is waltzing in with a hypodermic needle (laughs) to put him out. this they struggle for a minute she puts him out she's she's admonishing him all the way to the door for struggling against her i don't think i'll ever understand you i cook your meals i tend to you practically 24 hours a day and you continue to fight me when are we going to develop a sense of trust she literally opens up the basement door and drags him all the way into the basement and, like, leaves his ass there. <laughs> oh, my God. Buster's walking up to the door, and before he can even knock, Annie opens the door. Yeah, she's ready for him. He's like, sorry, I didn't mean to startle you, but she didn't give me a chance to knock. And she's like, oh, I'm so silly. What can I help you with? And he's like, well, I was wondering if you could tell me anything about Paul Sheldon. And she's like, what do you want to know? Well, anything you could tell me might help. Well, he was born in Worcester, Massachusetts, 45 years ago. The only child of Franklin and Helene Sheldon. Mediocre student, majored in history. Well, that, that isn't exactly the kind of information I'm after. You see, he's been missing for quite some time now, and I... I know, it's so upsetting. I'm his number one fan. I've got all his books. Every sentence he ever put down. I'm so proud of my Paul Sheldon collection. She's not helping herself by giving the sheriff his Wikipedia article. She literally knows everything about him. She gives him half his she gives him half his life story before he's like, I I don't know. I was just wondering if you could tell me anything you know about the disappearance. Like, I feel like she's incredibly unaware of how unhinged her behavior is because she invites him in. And she has, like, a full-fledged, like, Paul Sheldon altar in her home. It's a Paul Sheldon shrine. Like, she's got all the books, all the miseries, and, you know, he's looking around. Here's the thing. I don't know how... Because, like, they do eventually go in the bedroom, right? Yeah. Where Paul has been staying. And I'm surprised she doesn't ask any questions about the bed setup. Like, she's obviously showing him the typewriter and how she tells him that she's been trying to emulate her own you know, novel from him and his inspiration. But here's the thing. She has an answer for everything. I know. That's a red flag. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, she has a detailed answer for everything. That is the mark of a pathological liar. He's trying to get out of there, and he hasn't checked the basement yet where Paul is being held. And as he's leaving, he hears Paul make a noise in the basement and hears him calling out for help. Miss Wilkes, are you all right? He goes back there, flings open the door, looks down the staircase. Mr. Sheldon? Annie blows a hole right through him. Great, great effect, by the way. Like the Uh, shotgun? We see that exit wound happen. Oh, my God. I wonder what kind of rigging that took. I'd love to see some special effects behind the scenes on that. But Buster is 
D-E-D dead. Oh, no. Shot through the heart. I feel bad for Buster. And then Annie's like, you know what? End of the road, I guess. I just killed the sheriff. But don't worry, Paul. I've prepared for what must be done. I put two bullets in my gun. One for you and one for me. Oh, darling, it'll be so beautiful. And then Paul really turns it on. This is a mo- This is he is in full survival mode. And this is where she goes, don't be afraid. I love you. And starts walking towards him with the needle. And he's like, I love you, too. And you're right. We are meant to be together. And I know we must die. But it must be. So that misery can live. We have the power to give misery eternal life. We must finish the book. She leaves the room to go get those three special things he has when he finishes a book, right? Mm -hmm. A cigarette, a match, and a bottle of Dom Perignon. Dom Perignon. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And while she's out of the room, he grabs this can of lighter fluid and shoves it in his pants. And when she comes back, oh my God, he wads this piece of paper up, uses the lighter fluid, and sets this script on fire. Remember how for all those years nobody knew who Misery's real father was? Or if they'd ever be reunited? It's all right here. Does she finally marry Ian? Or will it be Winthorn? It's all right here. Paul, you can't! Why not? I learned it from you. Oh my god, she freaks the fuck out! (laughs) He lights the script on fire. She's on the floor trying to put it out. And he lifts the typewriter and slams her on the top of the head with it. Oh, he clubs her with that thing. This is where the fight starts. Oh, God. They're on the floor. They're wrestling with one another. He's shoving those burnt pages down her throat. He picks up those burnt, ashy pages <laughs> and shoves them in her mouth. Hey, you want it? You want it? Eat it! Eat it to yourself, you sick, twisted fuck! <laughs> and I'm like, I'm with Paul. Oh, no! <laughs> he deserves it. He deserves it absolutely. He knocks her over and the gun goes skittering. She tries to run after the gun, but he trips her over, and she falls, and her temple hits the edge of that typewriter. It's very poetic, don't you think? Yeah, I know. She dies on his typewriter. Oh, my God! Come on! The ding it makes when her head hits it, like it's to the end of its line. (laughs) The hook! Ding! I love it. And she's supposedly dead. He crawls out of the room. Guess who's not dead? (laughs) She comes crawling out after him in a surprise. I'm not dead. (laughs) And he actually does the killing blow with the t- with the very heavy statue of misery, her pig. Yeah, it's like a pewter statue of this pig. Apparently, 
this was filmed two separate ways. Really? One where she dies just by the typewriter. That was actually how it was just going to end, that she'd die by falling on that typewriter. But they went back and filmed him crawling out of the room and her coming after him a second time. I feel like they just needed an extra two minutes or something. Yeah, well, I think it was just to be like, oh, wait, it's not that easy, you know, but yeah, like... Exactly. But I guess they felt like that first fight was too easy. I don't know. Whether but, whether she dies from the misery statue or from the typewriter... They're both very poetic. Like, the meaning is still pretty much the same. Like, her obsession eventually led to her death. Like, he shoves that statue in her face, breaks her nose into her brain, and it's over. I know. She falls over on top of him, he pushes her off, and then he's just laying there heavy breathing with her dead body next to him. She looks bad. Yeah, it's She bad. looks dead. <laughs> you know, she looks bad and dead. Right? <laughs> Fade away, cut to New York City 18 months later. Lauren Bacall is telling him his new book is a rave. <laughs> Not Lauren Bacall, but <laughs> Mar- <laughs> Marcia Sindel. <laughs> his agent, Lauren Bacall. His agent, Lauren Bacall. The word I'm getting is the Times Review is going to be a love letter. That'll be a first. And my contacts at Time and Newsweek tell me they're both raves and don't laugh. But for the first time, I think you've got a shot at some prizes. Great. I thought you'd be thrilled. You're being taken seriously. He has written a new book. What's it called? The The Higher Education of Philip J. Stone? Something pretentious like that. Yeah, and it's got rave reviews, and he's like, great, cool. Nah, 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 nah. You know? He says, in some ways, Annie actually helped me. And I'm like, what a weird thing to say! Oh, yeah, because, you know, the, the, the literary agent is doing the, the predatory thing, and it's like, hey, maybe you want to open up that trauma again and write a nonfiction book about what happened in that house. And I and he's like, what? Relive the worst experience of my life to make a couple bucks? <laughs> and she's like, oh, Paul, quit killing cash cows for us. I know. He won't write about his trauma to make a few bucks. <laughs> and he won't write misery anymore. So, like, whatever. When he looks up and sees the wait- the, the, the dessert waitress coming with the dessert tray and it's Annie. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then it turns out to just be a regular nice lady. Even though I know she's dead. I still think about it once in a while. Excuse me, I don't mean to bother you, but are you Paul Sheldon? Yes. I just want to tell you I'm your number one fan. That's very sweet of you. Literally no one could ever say that to him again without him being triggered. And later that day, in the restaurant parking garage, that nice lady took him hostage. (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) Misery part two. And then the credits... I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places that this heart of mine embraces all day through. I love this movie. It's full of crazy. I mostly love it for Kathy Bates' performance. Like... This is Pete Kathy Bates. It's well, it's not Pete Kathy Bates, but like <laughs> there will be more peaking. But like this is where we got the first taste of what she was capable of. And then, you know, th- this I think this was just a great way for her to get introduced. Like if she had been introduced in like, you know, a rom-com or like, you know, if they had like tried to marilize her 
at the beginning instead of just giving her this really cool breakout character. Like, okay, I know I just called Annie Wilkes cool. Like, she's not cool, but I think it's a cool role to get immersed in, you know? It's a diverse role. I feel like if she had not gotten this role, she could have very easily gotten the Margot Martindale treatment. Oh, yeah, right? No offense, Queen. Yeah, no, Margot, we love you, but you are just somebody's aunt and everything. Yeah. And this is where Kathy proved that she is just not somebody's aunt. (laughs) And this, she got, listen, I feel like Sarah Paulson kind of went on the same journey. Yeah. You know what I mean? This this really set her up to really explore her range in the 1990s and the early 2000s. Like You're so right. I, everything else that she went on to do after that. Like, you know, Fried Green Tomatoes and Titanic and American Horror Story. You know, everything that we love her from. I mean, James Caan gives a great performance, too. Like, it's he does the body horror very well, and the expression of the anguish is great, and just the, the helplessness that he's able to convey. It's the vulnerability. You don't think... Of Sonny Corleone being very vulnerable. I know, but like as an American audience, can you imagine seeing that? Right. And he's suddenly at the mercy of this homicidal nurse. This is also one of the first big movies to come out there at the end of the Cold War. Yeah. This came out literally at the very end of the Cold War. End of November 1990 was the end of the Cold War. I think that this was a way for audiences to feel, you know, a different kind of terror, like a totally fictional kind of terror. One that comes from inside as opposed to beyond our borders. Exactly. Exactly. Let's worry about the crazies here at home. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're in the Rockies. Oh, my God. (laughs) They're in the Rockies and in California and in Maine, all places that Stephen King novels take place. (laughs) No, folks, this is a story for another podcast, but one day remind me to tell you about the time I almost died in the Rockies. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. All right, guys, like we said, welcome to Spooky Season. We've got, well, I was going to say great, but we've got some selections for you this month. (laughs) But I'm very excited to talk about next week's selection, aren't you? Oh, my God. This will be so amazing and traumatic to revisit. I'm so excited. Guys, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a season of kicking and streaming without bringing Raw Dahl into it. Oh, absolutely not. Carrie Ann, tell us what we're going to do next week. Next week, we will be talking about the 1990 adaptation of Roald Dahl's spooky classic, The Witches. You may remove your shoes. <laughs> you may remove your wigs. Folks, Angelica Houston is back. I'm so excited, and I'm totally going to call you out for saying Danny Houston was hot. <laughs> no! Her brother. Oh, my God. Oh, Angelica Houston will be back, won't she? She will. She's been... I love the Iron Jot Angels episode. It's a great episode. It's a great episode. Thank you so much for doing such a good job on that made-for-television film that we covered. (laughs) Folks, stick around for that next week. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at (laughs) gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. Sorry, guys, she's mad about how long we've been talking. (laughs) 
And don't forget, <laughs> practice the three R's, rate, review, and retweet. <laughs> rate, review, and retweet, guys. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party in at least under 90 minutes. <laughs> God, you love to make my life hard. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mom. Mom.